Hey everyone, this is Blake coming at you from episode 18 of the Mixed Reviews podcast. This week we had Becca Stevens on. Becca Stevens is a vocalist and a musician. She's actually based here in NYC like, uh, like we are. We had a really great conversation touching on some things like collaboration and how important it is and how you can get some really cool things from it. We also talked about her Tiny Desk experiences, NPR Tiny Desk. If you don't know what that is, you absolutely would have to look it up. And we also talked about her songwriting class and some other really great things. I hope you guys will enjoy this episode. And as always, if you could give us a follow on our Instagram, which is going to be at Mixed Reviews Pod. And if you could give us like a like or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, I always appreciate the support. And let's get into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mixed Reviews Podcast. This is Blake coming at you. Today we have Becca Stevens on as a guest. Becca, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me, Blake. Yeah, so let's let's kind of start with the basics. For people who, who listen to the podcast, I know I kind of like to start with, you know, like your origin story. You know, what was your early life in music, you know, and, and like were your parents involved in stuff? Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and, and also um, those kind of things? Sure. Um, I was born into a musical family. I'm the youngest of three. And by the time I came around, my family already had a band called the Tune Mammals. And we would travel around North Carolina, where I'm from, and perform at different schools and festivals. We even did some cross-country performing in my early years, a little bit of touring in the minivan. And, um, yeah, it was sort of like a brainy Appalachian children's music, I would call it. Funny stuff, like very witty and funny. And um, it was a very rich musical upbringing. We listened to all different kinds of music from around the world. We were in the car and cleaning the kitchen. My dad's a composer, um, classical composer and a multi-instrumentalist. And my mom is a classically trained singer and performer. And so also growing up, we did a lot of productions together, um, like, you know, local community theater productions and then also larger scale stuff in other states. We would, I remember flying to California when I was really young to um, perform in a musical that my dad wrote that was like accompanied by the local symphony. And so it, it was like we were we were always busy on the weekends doing musical stuff, and that was just that was just what I knew. That was part of my upbringing, and so it it it's always felt like home to me. That's really cool. I I think that you know, like having your parents really involved in that stuff always helps. Like my mom, she was a vocal coach, and so when I was a kid constantly I would just you know she'd be telling me to like come in the piano room sing a song and she'd critique me and at the time I was like Ugh, I hate doing this like I don't like doing this but now you know as I'm older I can see the benefit from it and, and everything you know yeah um, I wouldn't I wouldn't let my mom give me voice lessons when I was a kid either <laughs> yeah it's, it's something about being a kid and you know just not wanting to hear that voice of authority it's so let's let's kind of just jump into it I've I've known about you for a little bit and and your music and stuff and I've noticed that you've you've collaborated just with a lot of different people 
And for me, like as an artist, collaboration is just something that kind of seems just like out there. Like it's not something I, I think about a lot. What and to name a few people you've collaborated with, you know, Dave Crosby is one that comes to mind, Corey Wong, Taylor Eichstee, which is actually how I first heard of you through um, one of his songs that I, I believe you sang with him. And then also like people like Jacob Collier. You know, what are your thoughts on collaboration and how it can be beneficial to like you as an artist? Hmm. Um, well, you just named a lot of my good friends and um, Corey, actually, I've only met him once. It was when he played on Wonder Bloom mm -hmm. and he That's just came in. He, he came directly in from the airport, straight to the studio, nailed it, and then <laughs> went to his hotel to get ready for a gig at Madison Square Garden or something with <laughs> Wolfpack. Um, David, I met through my good friend Mike League, who's the leader of the band Snarky Puppy, and Jacob Collier, I also met that day. It was um, the Family Dinner Volume 2, the Snarky Puppy Family Dinner series. This is a few years ago, um, gosh, maybe five years ago now. Um, Snarky Puppy brings all these different artists together. They perform together, and there were a lot of long-lasting relationships that I made from that experience, including Lauren Vula, who's a close friend of mine now, um, Michelle Willis I met that day, and she's in my band, um, Jacob Collier, who we've done duo stuff and, um, you know, sent, sung on each other's records and made music videos and all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff. And then David, who I'm now in a band with and have written a bunch of songs with and is like family to me now. Um, I feel the same way about collaborating as I do about any kind of relationship, any kind of chemistry. Um, you know, if you're, if you are going out to dinner with somebody that you have zero chemistry with, it's probably going to be pretty une uneventful and pretty boring, you know? Mm -hmm. There won't be... I don't know. If you don't see eye to eye on anything and have any chemistry, it's just like sparks don't fly and, and yeah. you don't make connections really as easily. But um, I tend to, at this stage in my life, seek out collaborations with people I already know that I have that with. And so now you know, collaboration tends to be a very fruitful thing because when I reach out to someone like Taylor or Jacob or David, I know it's going to go well because I know that we connect, you know. Um, and, and I, early on in my career, I think maybe I was a little more reluctant to collaborate, especially with writing because um, it's hard to let go of... Um, the, the, the tendency to want to claim something completely and to say, like, I wrote this by myself, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but the more that I've let go of that, the more that I feel um, I've gotten out of the experience. Like, that when actually when you share the experience, you're able to stretch the the boundaries of what you're able to do, it stretches exponentially because you're including somebody else's strengths and then your weaknesses get rounded out by another person's strengths and vice versa. And it's also just more fun 
because instead of the, the usual rises and falls of your um, inspiration and then mm-hmm. blocks and inspiration mm-hmm. and blocks, you have another person's rises and falls and it, it's, it feels more like you're, you're creating a project with a friend in your backyard as like a kid, you know, you're, it, it's, it's more playful and, and more collaborative. I mean, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's like you're hanging out with someone and holding each other up. It's, I can't speak, I can't speak more highly about collaboration. I'm, I'm like a believer now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a great perspective on it. That's interesting to hear, you know, that sometimes like the rises and falls of just inspiration and blocks. I think that's a really great way to put it. Do you have any like specific times when you were that there was just time where you're like, I didn't even like think of that, you know, like you just kind of left that maybe writing session, something like that with just with a whole new perspective. I mean, there was a lot of that in, in Wonder Bloom. There was a lot of songwriting sessions in preparation for that record with people out in um, in LA that I'm that I adore such as Kabe Rastagar he's a bass player who used to play in knee body and um, plays with all kinds of famous people out in in LA and then um, Alan Hampton is another person that I wrote a song with for Wonder Bloom he's also based in LA um, and I had a, I had a lot of those aha moments when I was out there. I think the the most kind of general one and the most frequently had one that I, that I experienced leading into Wonder Bloom specifically was that I don't have to try so hard. I don't have to try as hard as I thought was necessary. Um, I think my my tendency is to obsess over every tiny little detail and to make sure that I have like control of something mm-hmm. before yeah. before I share it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I decided with Wonderbloom to experiment with joyfulness and vulnerability mm-hmm. and um, simplicity and and just in the process enjoying myself more, putting more of myself out without editing, and, okay. um, and letting the chips fall as they may, and then seeing how that feels once I just sit with it, which also gave me the space to, on the production side of things, to then create these beds around that vulnerability to, you know, to, um, to tweak the the tiny bits and bobs and, and get more perfectionistic yeah. on the production side rather than on the writing side, which was so, so refreshing for me because that's, I love to do that anyway. Yeah, that's really um, cool. But yeah, in the writing, especially in the songs when I was collaborating, just being, just stepping away from the need to control and and sort of trusting trusting the muse and trusting the experience and saying like, however this comes out, I'm going to trust it and I'm just going to sit with it for a while. Because a lot of times when you, you spend some time with something, you realize, no, I, I actually kind of like this. Yeah. It's only in that first, in that, that first instant where you're like, no, you know, <laughs> if you can just get past that, then, um, 
you might you might find yourself in a totally new and exciting territory that you you would have scared yourself out of initially <laughs> discomfort and and just going out of your comfort zone is so important and for me you know I, I've been on a journey of learning that and I I, I feel you on just the like, you know, nitpicking at every little thing and just, you know, trying to make it perfect. And, you know, throughout time, I feel like I'm, I'm learning. Sometimes you just need to step back, you know, and just be like, this is done for now. Or if I can't think of anything right now, you know, I'll come back to it. I think that's, that's a great thing, you know, um, everyone can learn to do. So, you know, we, we were already talking about Wonder Bloom a little bit. Let's let's dive deeper into that. So for those who don't know, that's your, your album you just released just this year correct that's right and from what i've noticed from you know i i checked it out a little bit and then i've, I've also checked out your past albums a little bit and i've noticed you kind of had this little like almost like a, a not a genre shift but just kind of a, a different vibe of um this album than previous ones you know it's a little more um i guess like electronic could you say and like uh, you know your previous ones have been a little bit more acoustic folk type things how do you think you've you've evolved from that into this place that you're at now with wonder bloom Initially, it wasn't the plan to make something that was more produced and um, electronic, as you as you said. Um, actually, my plan for Wonder Bloom when I was setting out to make the record was to do something very simple and intimate. And then, as I was writing the songs and putting the pieces together in the studio, the songs themselves pulled the record in another direction okay. um, unbeknownst to me like it was it was I think it was happening before I even tapped into it and um, Nick Hard the co-producer of Wonder Bloom and I you know we just made a commitment to following that pull and following whatever the music was telling us and that was I think a little scary in the beginning because I was like, whoa, this is going to take a long time and this is a bigger project <laughs> than I thought that we were making. But then mm -hmm. once we kind of surrendered to it, it was such an awesome adventure. I, I never would have thought that it would end up so produced and I never mm -hmm. would have thought that it would end up with so many collaborators. I mean, I had like 30 some odd, almost 40, including some of the little kids singing on it. Oh, wow. um, people like special guests mm -hmm. on, on the record collaborators um, most of the writing was done by me but there were a few songs where the even the writing was collaborative and and that was totally new for me so yeah I, I think it I think it, to answer your question the music has a mind of its own and I'm speaking generally like music when when I when I feel that I'm serving effectively as an artist it feels like there's something going on that's beyond me mm -hmm. and I'm doing my job most effectively when I honor that and when I um, let relinquish some control yeah. so um, so it's hard for me to answer that question really and and say how it happened because I think that the the movement was beyond me it was almost like something that I had to get out of my system in order to go into whatever the next chapter is. No, I, I think that's that's a really great answer. That's really cool to hear. It's yeah, it's interesting how those things just 
you know, it's like you were saying, it's beyond you. They just kind of happen naturally. And it's interesting to see, you know, like artists just over time in, in their shifts. So what what's your favorite song on the album? I feel like every album has like, you know, top hits that, that everyone loves. And then there's like the artist's personal favorites. You know, like what's your favorite song that you that you wrote or either like your favorite song to sing? I don't believe in choosing favorites because they're all my little babies. But um, <laughs> my sort of stock answer to this question, like if I had to choose a song that surprised me and one that I ended up enjoying listening to more than I thought I would, like endlessly, <laughs> is True Minds. Okay. Um, which I made a, a music video for in quarantine. And I think I part of why I enjoy that song so much is that it's really hard to pin down. It's all over the place, stylistically and color-wise, um, production-wise. It's a whole universe. And I, I, love, I love listening to it and just laughing and being like, this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that one. That's great. That's great. So let's let's shift a little and and talk about your you know you've performed on some tiny desks and for those people who don't know NPR does this thing they call tiny desks where people basically you know as it says they have like a desk that artists come in and and they perform at what was your what was your experience of those and how did you how did you come about like being in those basically um all of the tiny desk appearances that I've done have been in collaboration. So the first mm -hmm. one was um, in a, a band that I'm in called The Lighthouse Band, which is David Crosby, Mike League, Michelle Willis, and I. Um, and yeah, we were just, we were on the road. David had recently put out an album and his publicist, who's also my publicist, reached out to a bunch of different publications. Tiny Desk said yes, and so on our tour, we parked the bus in D.C., and one morning went in and performed a few songs. It's a really cool space, you know, in the video, it seems like there are walls, you know, because that's what video does, it creates yeah. walls where, where there are not, mm -hmm. and it seems like there are walls around the desk, but there aren't, and it's, um, you walk in there and it's like, you know, a, a conference room kind of, yeah, yeah. like a huge room full of desks where people are working. Really? Okay. People are still in there working just quietly when you're performing. And so it's like high ceilings, huge, massive room with windows. And then this tiny familiar <laughs> desk in the middle where you're like, mm -hmm. that's where we're playing, you know, very minimal, um, sound setup. Everything is mostly acoustic with just like one microphone. Mm -hmm. Um, in front of the lead singer and then maybe a couple other micro it's very minimal and i love that and i think that 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 encourages a special type of performance from the people who perform there because if it's something that tends to be more produced in electronic like they you have to really pare down your performance into an acoustic style when you perform there and i, yeah. I love that I love the challenge. Um, the second one that I did, speaking of people who tend to do performances that are very produced and layered and complicated, was with um, Jacob Collier. And mm -hmm. again, he was on the road. I was doing some shows opening for him and performing with him. And Tiny Desk was worked into his tour. 
I think we played um, in DC that night. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. And so um, we hit Tiny Desk in the morning, and the way that we performed the songs at Tiny Desk was like, you know, a very different than he performs those songs live. And mm -hmm. we really only performed them that way one other time, which was in um, in California. We did like a a celebration in a, a a house. It was like a CD release party for Jacob. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So it was very rare. Um, and then the third time I played there was Mobley. So I recorded my part in Spain, and then it was part of the, like, quarantine tiny desk situation where mm -hmm. people aren't necessarily coming in, but yeah, yeah. Um, ground up the music label that um, that put out Wonder Bloom and a couple other of my records is the like, Snarky Puppy music label. Um, they put together this tiny desk, um, each, each song was performed by a different member of the Ground Up family. Oh, that's and cool. And they were, they were all songs that feature relevant subject matter. So mm -hmm. political or, um, thoughtful for the times that we're going through and, mm -hmm. So I did my song Heather's Letters to Her Mother from Wonder Bloom with Brad Meldow on the piano and my bass player in, in Becca Stevens' band, Chris Tordini, on the bass. Nice. That's that's awesome. Thank you for speaking on that. And I, I agree with you just when I've, I've seen those performances, there's always something just different about them. And, and um, like you said, I think it's just the, the kind of stripped downness of it. And how when you really just kind of, you know, you have the microphones and you, you have the artist and, and their art. And I think there's, there's something really beautiful about that. So you're currently right now on kind of, well, when this podcast comes out, you will have uh, taught, at least started teaching this uh, five-week songwriting course. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and what that is and, and kind of what's some of the planning that, that leads up to doing something like this? Sure. Um, so <clears throat> since COVID times, I have had more time at home to do things like teaching, which I, I love, love, love teaching. But when I'm on the road 24-7, it's hard to fit that in, um, both schedule-wise and, like, awakeness. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. sometimes being on the road, you're getting, like, three hours of sleep a night, and mm -hmm. you're not trying to add anything onto the day. Mm -hmm. Um, but being home, this has been, um, a really inspiring and fruitful turn in my career of being able to really develop my teaching studio and developing my, my teaching style and where I feel most, um, comfortable as a teacher and also as feeling like I have something to offer is in the songwriting realm or almost like song tutoring where um, I sit with someone who's trying to finish a song or experiencing blocks or um, has never written a song before or has written mm -hmm. a million songs and needs to know what to do with them and how to put them on a record. I mean, it's yeah. any number of things. but um, And I feel like my role is to guide and inspire and not necessarily to say what's right or wrong but um to just be like a supportive guiding force mm -hmm. and um 
in my one-on-one -on -one songwriting lessons, I was starting to feel like, you know, financially, there's only a certain number of people that I can reach because mm -hmm. with a one-on-one -on -one lesson, it's going to be more expensive for that person to have one-on-one -on -one time. Yeah, absolutely. And so I started dreaming about how I could reach more people and also create some sort of community aspect. Um, and I dreamt up this, uh, this songwriting course, which allows you to meet five times instead of one mm -hmm. and, um, and to try different exercises over the course of those five weeks. So like maybe yeah. one week we'll, yeah, uh, write a song that's um, a setting of a poem and then when we come back the next week share that with each other and then the next week we'll talk about um, writing a song where you uh, develop the the character's entire life before you even start writing the song like you dream oh. something up from nothing you know there, it could, there are like a million different exercises that we could do together and then come back and share them with each other. And by the end, you have either seeds of or entirely new, a handful of new songs that um, yeah. other people, and, and, as well as a community that the beauty of it is, I think, is that you, you can um, stay connected with this group of people. It's a small group. And um, I think I'll keep them connected on Discord. So even when mm -hmm. I'm not there in between sessions they can be communicating with each other and troubleshooting yeah. ideas and even collaborating if they want to so we'll see how it goes i have a feeling it's going to go well um because i've done stuff like this before on a smaller scale with mm. like master classes and in on my travels in europe and stuff um like i'll be on the road with the band and do a master class at a conservatory on a day off or something and oh, do okay. something like this and then um, there have also been um, longer classes that I've done like this at summer camps in, in mm -hmm. jazz schools and stuff like that. So I think it'll, I think it'll work, but we'll see. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> yeah, it's always that right before you're like, okay, this can either go very well or very wrong. You know, just to, I love what you talked about of teaching someone songwriting. I think there's something interesting about music teachers in specifically and also like songwriting because you know songwriting is such like an an intimate art just for like one person and and i think the idea of just kind of trying to formulize that and stuff is is really great and, and interesting and just to kind of end out let's talk a little bit just about i i really like talking about because you know like nobody's perfect you know everyone has their struggles everyone has their low points and stuff and I feel like that doesn't get highlighted a lot. You know, I feel like sometimes we tend to be like, oh my gosh, that artist, they're amazing. They have never written a bad song in their life. When in reality, behind the scenes, they practice every day. You know, they're, they're, it takes a thousand bad songs to write one good song. Obviously, I'm generalizing. But um, what are some like, locks that, that you've had in just in your like life or your music career, some, some low times that, that you've had? And, and how did you get through those? And how did you just kind of push through? The same as... I mean, it's funny. I have the same blocks as as the songwriters that I work with. Um, could be 14 years old, could be 74 years old. It's 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 always the same. It's like mm -hmm. that this block that uh, I would say most commonly just looks like 
mm, I'm not dot 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 or I don't dot dot dot. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm not good enough. I don't have enough time. I, um, I'm stuck. I mm -hmm. I don't know what else to say in this song. It's sort of a it's sort of a cop out. Um, and but when you're in it which I am every day, you know, <laughs> yeah. every artist is yeah. every day. It's part of, part of the, part of the job. When you're in it, it's hard to see that it's a cop out. It's easier mm. for someone in the teacher tutor position to be like, Oh, there it is. Let me help you get out of that. Than mm -hmm. it is for the person who's in it. You think this is just my reality and there's no way out. And, um, I think teaching has helped me to see when it's happening to me. Mm -hmm. Um, because I find myself stuck in a narrative that is completely mirroring things that I'm helping other people with. And I'm almost like laughing because I'm like, am I really buying into this when I spend <laughs> all week telling other people not to? Yeah. But it, it's impossible not to. I mean, it's like you're having a bad day. You're um, not loving what you're writing. You want to give up. Um, and then maybe everything else in your life is really sad which you know that's happened to me a lot this year I think that's happened to a lot of people this year where you feel like what is my life even going to look like after this like I haven't played a proper gig since February you know Absolutely. like what like what am I anymore and do people even care anymore about like what I'm doing you know mm -hmm. um it's a it's a weird it's a weird year and it takes a toll on you and um, I've noticed some of my biggest struggles this year ironically because of how much time I'm spending at home I've struggled with making time to work on my music mm -hmm. which is so extra frustrating that in in um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Pema Chodron she's a like a Buddhist nun I don't think and, so. And um, she talks about not putting another layer of cement on top of the layer of cement that you're struggling mm. with. So an example of that is like, I'm frustrated, or, or I haven't been making enough time for my music. I'm frustrated, this is the next layer of cement, I'm okay. frustrated that I didn't make enough time. And then another layer of cement would be like, I feel guilty about the frustration for not making enough time because... This year I'm actually home, and I should have been able to do better. Yeah. And then yeah. the more the more layers of cement that you compact on top of that initial one, the harder it is to deal with the bottom layer. You know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we're all we're all guilty of that, and I've been very guilty of that this year, where I I find myself being like, I could have written so much music this year. <laughs> the whole world yeah. stopped and. Yeah. You know, the other side of it is, of course, I've been busy and, of course, I actually have uh, worked on a lot of stuff, but it's just so hard to see when you get depressed. Mm -hmm. It's hard to give yourself the credit of what you've done, even if, even if what you've done has just been, you know, to sit in silence and figure something out in your life or mm -hmm. to spend more time with your family or to learn how to cook lasagna or whatever, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it could be that this this year is bringing, is planting seeds that you don't quite yet understand, and, um, and that's okay. I 
thank you so much. I think that was an amazing answer. And I, I love that idea of, yeah, just don't, you know, don't put another layer of cement. I'm definitely going to think of that, you know, now I want to be like, am I putting another layer of cement on right now? Like, you know, I'm You'll be surprised how often it happens. (laughs) Just these things happen to you. And, you know, like you're, you're telling other people like, oh, it's okay. You don't need to do this. And it, it always thinks of like the mechanic's car is always broken down. You spend a lot of time teaching other people, but then when it comes to trying to apply those things to yourself, you're the exception. You know, I think there's something kind of funny about that and it's it's something you got to constantly work on and something you just have to get better about. I think this has been a great, great interview. Thank you so much for, for coming on. I think we speak on some really good things that can apply to everyone. So where can we, where can we find you? Where can we listen to Wonder Bloom? Um, tell us all the things. BeccaStevens.com is my website. Um, my Instagram and Twitter are BeccaStevensBSB, Becca Stevens Band. You can get most of my albums through my website. I think some of them are taken down right now because I'm, um, I need to order some more. But you can mm-hmm. also order, you can order through Amazon or iTunes or Spotify if you mm-hmm. support streaming and, you know, all the, all the ways. It's all out there. Great. Well, again, thank you very much. And we'll see everyone in the next episode. Again, big thanks to Becca for taking time out of her busy day to come on an interview. I really appreciate it. And I really enjoyed this episode and the things we talked about, and I hope you guys did too. And as I said in the episode, you can check out her links down in the show notes. She's a phenomenal musician, and you can also check out our links if you want to follow us on Instagram, which is going to be at Mixed Reviews Pod. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.